Shop of Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave, moving the mic a little bit closer to my mouth. Rupert, with me is Chris in the booth. Query. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah? I am in the booth today. Good job for me getting off my butt and moving into the booth. Moving, moving to the booth. I technically have a booth. It's just a 12 by 16 booth. <laughs> so it's just a little bit larger in the shed. So Yeah, very large. It's probably Still got... You probably got a fridge in there. Yeah. I do have a tiny fridge, and you may be able to hear it because I'm just noticing it's open. One second. <laughs> yeah. yeah, take a little break. You know, we just started. We're back. We're back. Keep the monsters in there. What's it? Well, I just, yeah, that would be awesome. I, I do need like the G Fuel rack. I still want to be sponsored by G Fuel. So if uh, G Fuel wants mm-hmm. to sponsor Dave Rupert, that's your dream shop. Oh, God. I mean, coding, caffeine goes together, right? Natural. It does. So mm-hmm. like let's sponsor uh let's let's get on it, G Fuel. Coder Fuel. There, free name. I just gave it to you. Okay. Let's go. Easy. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I still I'm still on the barbecue sauce train. Nobody's ever hooked it up. So I was uh, I was watching it just made me think of you in Texas and stuff. I just opened my YouTube and sometimes I like to just let it wash over me, you know? Like what what do you got, YouTube? Algorithm me, you know? Yeah. People like yeah. that more than they think they do, by the way, you know. TikTok lovers, you love the algorithm and you know it. But anyway, the one of the first videos was this, you know, I, I think it was outside of Austin somewhere, if not Houston or something. What it's in your in that corridor. Sure. And it was sure. one of these barbecue spots that you're you're so lucky to have so many of them in, in Texas. You're, you know, you're spoiled with them. You probably, you know, I've, I'd like to think I'd go every day. I but. had barbecue on a taco for lunch like just 10 minutes ago. So Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, there yeah. you go. But this was one that, you know, there's, there's rankings, right? And even that if you're in the top 50... It's great for business, you know, yeah. and this, this was regionally or something, maybe even hit a number one kind of, kind of thing. There was this little hole in the wall, nothing, not just a shack on the outside. I mean, you get that weather thing going for you in Texas, like it's hot all the time. So you probably don't need like, uh, I don't know, whatever. It looked like a barbecue hut, you know, like spray painted crap on the outside, open, open, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or I think that was their hours, you know, which is probably not terribly uncommon. The ones that are open every day are almost like, are you really doing it right? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> the documentary was 30 minutes long, and it was a beautiful expose of the process that it takes them to get ready to be open for the weekend. Mm-hmm. They are not doing nothing those days. That is, There's no laziness involved. It was an incredible amount of work to get ready. It was beautifully done algorithm. So I'm sitting there watching that. Pretty good. And then, you know, it shows me next is the React documentary. That was oh, all the, all the oh, news this week. Did you watch the documentary? Just every minute of it. Start to you finish. Had the, Did you watch it? I, I, I love a train wreck. So I would, oh, no, I just, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I, I knew it was being spoken of in the uh, circles uh, around town. And uh, I was very much wanting to watch it. I don't know. I, I watched yeah. one of them, um, like the GraphQL one, and it was fine. It was good. It was good. Um, oh, I liked that one. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I can't say I've seen all of them. I know they did a view one. It's Honeypot, right? This company Honeypot, that makes yeah. them. Yeah, and this I'm sure this was a big one because they, you know, they know React is a big deal. And there was an interesting story to be told there that you probably know less up. You probably know some stuff about Evan Evan Yu because he's yeah. just out there talking all the time. This Jordan Walk dude from he's like totally disappeared from the. He doesn't talk about React ever. <laughs> 
and he was he was kind of the original creator. But it you know it told the story that it was very much a team effort and showcased a lot of people's efforts to make this thing happen. Some of the pushback I've heard is that like not only the beginning but really the whole thing. And I found in my experience was very much this like underdog tale of you know will this ever succeed? We are mm-hmm. changing too much because there's nothing technical in the whole thing. This you know, so it's like an hour and a half of of trying to find drama of it all and where it finds it is in the like when we release this thing at JSConf all the you know the negativity around it and are we doing the right thing or not and all all that type of stuff and it was it's like it's not an underdog tale you're all rich you work at the richest company in the world it doesn't matter what the world thinks of this thing whatever you know is this (laughs) underdog at this billion dollar company Gonna survive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it kind of ends at, you know, yeah, you know, you know, Dan Abramov isn't at the at the way end. He was kind of like Gen 2, Gen 3 of the people working on it, you know. And now it's just very, very different place. You know, like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't go very far in the future. Cause we are at this spot where one of the refrains around React is you want a job, you better get React. Or, you know, there's all these beginners there out in the world that don't know how to make a website without React. That's how far it's come. Yeah. That's wild to have watched, you know, this underdog tale of React go from that to just total dominance. It's the entry point to website making. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, you know, I'm not to skip too far ahead, but we had a we did have a question come in. Well, let me dig that up. Uh, <laughs> well, I should have had this question yeah. up. But there was a question that came in. It was in, in you know, is there a place for a front of the front end person uh, getting a job? And I, I think they're looking for their first job. Martin DeLima wrote in, and is there any, still any value in specializing in the front of the front end dev, or is it just irrelevant now? I've been job hunting for over six months, and an overwhelming majority of my time, they expect back of the front end expertise. Uh, been, and it kind of goes on, but it's just like, you know, HTML, CSS, accessibility, web performance, design knowledge, like, like, um, had like luck landing jobs doing that. So not, not zero experience, uh, but like then coming back or whatever to the job market, like everything's about like CRUD and routing, dev, GraphQL, uh, APIs, DevOps, and I assume React and stuff is in yeah, there too. Yeah, yeah. What a powerful experience. Six months of job hunting, interviews, and all that stuff. And none of them just say, we need you for your accessibility in HTML and CSS. All of them are that kind of, you know, the other side of the divide, as my article put it, with all that kind mm-hmm. of JavaScript generally focused stuff. Uh, and that's the world. You remember that it was made another round again recently that I saw that like the Spotify CEO, I think, or CTO maybe that was, that was, did the, um, you know, there should be no such thing as a front end developer outside of very junior contexts. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. It was it Shopify, the yeah, CEO, I think. But, but Martin is always oh, Shopify, not Spotify. God, that's a really easy mistake to make. Which is even more ironic because I know quite a few CSS people that work at Shopify. Anyway. Yeah, I'm sure they don't love that. There's reality. There's what we would want. There's this answer that says, ah, that's still really important stuff. Of course, those are important skills that everybody needs. And then this brick wall of reality (laughs) that Martin is running into that says, yeah, but I need to get paid here. So Mm. what can I learn? It's hard. I I don't know. Not I 
we were just talking about the React documentary. <laughs> Maybe you can learn React. I don't know. Um, but I I I do want to like call out. This is the worst six months to find a job. Like like the the like economic fear of whatever bad quarters is rampant and you know a lot of people are pulling back on hiring and stuff like that i can tell you and this is maybe hard if you're looking for work but i know dozens of qualified people out of work right now who are very good at their job and very good at code uh-huh. and looking for work so i, I just want to say like I, a you're not alone and b like i would not judge yourself based on the current job climate because it's weird right now so yeah well good good a good time to mention that hopefully every you really are internalizing that everyone it's just it was a huge news thing i mean you you couldn't read tech news articles for you know a couple of months there that wasn't like who's laying off who and how much and it just it's it's really seems like it's still going i think it's still rolling and so which is <clears throat> unfortunate but i think like you know, I, I'm kind of the mind like in towards the middle or end of Q2, people will realize their roadmap is not going to happen. So they're going to have to start hiring again. So maybe there'll be a frenzy, you know? Yeah, um, maybe. But I would also, you know, I don't know. I, I think like it's also one of those things where maybe you have to either, uh, not to say like adjust expectations, but like, I think there's two ways, like sneaking into a big company where you're kind of like, you know, they just need hands, warm bodies, you know, um, or sneaking into a very small company where you'll probably have to work a lot, but you'll like, you know, they just need somebody who can do stuff and you show up and say, I can do stuff. So, yeah. uh, But beyond that, I I don't know. You know, I think it's, I think it's hard because I think most companies are frozen or, you know, the the hiring is very slim pickings right now. So Yeah. What else is on your mind, Dave? Well, I want to know more about the React documentary. Oh um, yeah. I think it's hard to write like tell a story because cause you set out to be like, let's tell the story of React, you know, but then mm-hmm. you get that on film and then you realize, well, that was a pretty boring story. <laughs> like that was eight people paid to make a thing or whatever. You know, fortunately but like, there was some pretty the, the people that were in it liked to talk, so I, I think okay. they probably had some some good material there and probably relished the chance to to have the story told. Hopefully, in a way that um, they wanted it to be told. In a way, there you know there are some interesting moments. One the one that I clued in on that. Um, I mean, not that this is unique. The, the whole industry included on this point was that first slide at that first JS conf. And I think this was actually Jordan Walk who did this. This is probably why he decided to screw the industry. I'll do whatever I'm going to do. Was that first slide where the world saw JSX. And it was, you know, so, so literally like angle brackets in 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 JavaScript for the first time. And people were like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Because it did, you know, the... There was stuff in the documentary that, like at the time, the separations of concerns concept in which the concerns were HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, that was strongly advocated. I'm sure I hopped on that bandwagon in a big way, especially because we were all into jQuery at the time. jQuery had this very much like, you know, write your semantic HTML over here and keep your JavaScript over here. Never the two shall meet, kind of thing. Which uh, I don't know. I don't know that it's talked about all that much, but that is still a way that you can approach JavaScript that isn't wrong. 
But isn't yeah. the only way to separate concerns, which is also not wrong. But that JSX thing, man, people hated that. <laughs> and there's, I'm sure there's still some people that, that hate JSX. But funnily enough, what it was of was a div with an onclick handler on it, which is funny because not funny. It's not funny. It's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> there was no focus management done or anything on that. And we At that time in history, we probably should have known better already because mm-hmm. it's like, jQuery didn't advocated for you to not do that. You could do that, but you shouldn't do that. You know, like right. we already knew that as an industry, and then to have that show up at the in the at the doorway of React, and that hung on. I think that you know that inaccessible attitude hangs on really to this day in React land. Oh, brother, I'm telling you, it's bad <laughs> out there, brother. I'm built, I'm making a crawler. For Luro, we've talked about it on the show before. I am finding a shocking number of websites that don't have links on them. They just have divs, magic buttons with you know <laughs> wow. that open pages or delete your account. Which who who knows until you click on it? Surprise, you know. Yeah. So it's a uh, we. It's not like you know mystery meat navigation is an old term for like when your nav wasn't very clear, but like. It's like mystery meat what this element does. You know, like it's just, I don't know. There's some bad ones. I'm going to actually throw Angular under the bus. I think most React sites are doing okay, but it's the old Angular sites, man, that are going to get you, man. Those are. Yeah. Wow. I think, I think yeah. Google, because Google biffed that up too. You know, it's like mm-hmm. Gmail, it's just divs, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so I think, I think there's some. Cultural. It's funny how the cultural, like, what what's at that epicenter of its genesis just then is the like. That's what keeps going. Like, like you look at like Eleventy, right? They have that speedlify thing where where everyone gets a rank every week, you know, on mm. how fast their website is. A uh, little show offy, but that's fine because the accessibility project does really well every week. Um, but the um, the the. I just saw that Astro was like, we value performance. So we're actually going to fork this 11 thing and do it for just Astro sites. And so I was like, that's cool. Like if you value it, then you put it front and center, you know? So that changes the culture that changes how people that work there think about it, how the public sees it. Yeah. That cultural stuff is a big deal. Cause I mean, if you were like, Hey, uh, code pen is for pictures of butts. And code pens about butts, that would change the culture of code pen. It would. Instead, which the best possible. Don't look at my profile header. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But if you, you know, but instead you guys do like the sparks. I listened to your podcast uh, about the spark or the competitions, the monthly competitions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Code pen challenges. Yeah. Challenges, man. It's just they, they like are awesome. They're an awesome way to participate and you sort of set the line, you know, you know, it's not even like dribbly, right? Like dribble was very much like, Hey, we're all making fancy icons for like 10 years. Right. But like code pen is, there's still a bunch of variations in the challenges unless you're seeing, I don't know, is it all the same code pen? Is everyone just making the same code pen or is everyone kind of doing something a little different? You know? Yeah. You just, it's amazing how much work, Marie puts into that and thinking the ideas and 
you know, and encouraging people and putting together the weekly emails that go around it and measuring it too, which informs all of it, which is interesting. Yeah. You know, the, I don't know, you know, most people don't see that, but she's very into like, and it's not just one statistic. She's got this whole suite of things that, that are very interesting to look at around how they do. For example, one is just like how many people made one. Like, of course, right? That's when you would want to measure, like, how popular was that challenge. But you can also look at, like, how many times it was forked later. Mm, So just to see, like, you know, like, was this, was there, were the results of this challenge something that produced interesting things that other people wanted to play with? Yeah. That's just one of them. There's a bunch of ones that are interesting in that that regard like the lasting impact of of a challenge pretty cool yeah anyway that's see i think it's interesting out that's me just talking about culture baked in the beginning but oh right yeah it was the the culture thing that got into it yeah i did i did finally follow up on that that fast idea that we were talking about on the show and just yeah. put some reasons of things that could be fast in there and i and i want to use um, Astro as in another example, just to mention them one more time, but only to, you know, and I, I'm still sorting out my feelings on this because I, I, I just am a big fan of them. So I feel like I can be critical and not be accused of not being a fan. But that the idea that it's like, if you use this framework, then the website that you produce is fast is a little bit of like a fallacy that isn't my favorite because there right. are so many ways to make a slow, bad website that are so easy and that the framework has nothing to do with, that it's like, don't don't tell me that. It's a little bit, you know, to be even ruder, I guess, a little bit like, you know, take this pill and you'll be beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not the case. It's just not true, you know? It right. does give you a good baseline, you know? It, you're, and it does give you good tools to, to stay where you want to stay. They're doing a good job in all of that way. But I just don't like, I don't want anybody to have in their head that if this framework, then fast website, because it's just not the way it works. True. No, I, I think that's, that's very, you know, in the age of blazingly fast, like, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean it. You know, I use turbo repo. You think that would blast out oh, a fast website? Do you really? Well, I really want yeah. to know more about it. We tried to get him on and it didn't work out for some reason. Maybe we should. Him meaning, you know, I think there is kind of a one. It's probably a multi-people work on it now, but I think it was the brainchild of one dude, wasn't it? Mm. Yes. Uh, I can't remember. Um, but it's, 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 I, I have a monorepo of Next.js sites with React components in it. I feel like I'm like, and like unit tests and stuff. I feel like I'm the perfect person in the world for it to help and I don't get it but it's just an education problem so I want you to help how does it help you maybe that will help me uh, I mean I think it it's <clears throat> I think it's like any kind of workspace tool like yarn workspace or pnpm I think can do this to some degree or something does that mean you, you know? don't need yarn workspaces then because we do use we, those we don't use yarn workspaces uh, oh. we don't we use regular old npm but but it's basically just a a tool that sits, you know, you can have different apps, you can have different packages. Um, and so, and then my apps can import my packages locally. Like I'd say like yeah. import, 
helpers from Luro helpers, you know? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way to go. So you have your own internal packages that live in that mono repo, but you import them with that probably like at Luro or something. Kind of. Yeah. And they, and they get, I think, bundled into the app, you know, like installed on the target, but it's like, you know, the package that just JSON says Luro helpers version star, you know, colon mm-hmm. star. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we use like 1.0.0 on all of them just okay. for fun. Yeah. You know? It's kind of, I, I was like, Ooh, star, but you know, I guess you could version it if you wanted to. Like, I guess that's totally like if you're on design system one and design system two is coming out or something like that. I don't know. So you could version you it. You could, but I don't. That's can of wormsy, I think. But that sure. would probably be a niche case uh, for, I don't know. But because kind of the whole point of my repo is like, just roll it out, you know, if like if you yeah, like how would you it, do like, you'd have to get tag old releases and then how do you update them? And I I don't know. Uh anyway, so so you got mono repo running. That's cool. So it's an alternative to yarn workspaces because we depend on that, but I don't love yarn. <laughs> right. Well, I think you will love yarn because one thing yarn does solve that we don't have is like um because when I npm install Turbo on my Mac, it npm puts a reference in my package.json to the the uh, binary bindings, like Arch64 or whatever it is on, on Mac. And so... Oh, so everybody had better have that same machine. Yeah, huh? and guess what doesn't have that machine? Your server in the cloud is yeah. not an ARM Mac, you know? Why does it do that? That's terrible. Well, that's NPM's fault. And so oh. uh, so the, to get around that, you use Yarn or PMPM or something like that. Anyway, um, so you'll probably mm-hmm. still have Yarn, but it's just, it's just neat. It just starts things up. You know, we, we're Luro is now, I think, like five applications total. Um, like, mm-hmm. and we did that partly because we are on a big monolith, but we're just having like observability problems. And like, where if one part of the app fell down, you know, all of it fell down. And like, logging helps that, but like, if one part of the app falls down, now you have 7,000 other errors and it's hard to find that needle in the haystack. So, uh, now we have very isolated, you know, services, I guess you'd call them, uh, mm. that uh, subscribe. They don't even hit the main application. Services are all invoked through like a RabbitMQ messaging ticketing system, sort of oh, job queue system. Fancy. So we're a big application. No, not really. Yeah. It's been a lot of work. A lot. Of, Kyle Zinter, who I work with, has done most of this stuff. But, um, but it was kind of a big like refactor. We're in like a our third architecture. And I feel like this one's good though, because we can now scale and then we can, you know, horizontally scale our instances and load balance those. If we need to, we can vertically scale, get a bigger box, you know? So, um, so that's like, that's all important stuff. Yeah. And it's just, you know, but I think it is this like very, whoa, (laughs) Like what, what on earth, you know, but now it's, it's a lot, you know, I, I feel like my whole life is going in between the, like is doing the horse sized duck problem. You know, it's like, do you want 100 duck sized horses or one horse sized duck? Which would you rather fight? <laughs> and cause it's, it's just either you, you have a big thing or you have a lot of little things and then, you know, either you're fighting a big thing and it's painful or you're fighting a small thing and you're just 
it's fine, but you're just getting your ass kicked constantly. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to totally ruin the metaphor too. Sometimes it's like, all right, I'm gonna take, you know, uh, I don't know, a cow sized horse, but I, but and then like thirty ducks. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're we're definitely up against this thing now. It's like yeah, yeah, but some stuff really should be small and separate. But you're like, we did all this work to get to the Vado repo, and then yeah. it's like you're desperate to hang on to it. But you're like, no, that's like a the draw the rest of the horse meme. But then you just start drawing <laughs> ducks, right? <laughs> like, like <laughs> it's like half a horse, and then just all ducks, just tons of ducks. Yeah, the horse is exactly cut off at the legs. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> no, that's what it feels like. I, I mean, it's just it's just that over and over. And um, uh, but it, it's I feel like we're in finally in a good spot because we can just you know we don't have. Mm-hmm. Or it's mostly isolation, like or uh, I'm calling it observability and availability. Like a the services stay up, but then observability when it goes down, we know what went down and why and how and where to start the fix, you know, cause that's the other trick, right? Is like if service, you know, if the, if the app server goes down, it's a mystery every time. But if the, whatever, the most recent call to service one goes down, you know, it was the most recent call to service one. So that's, you know. Yeah. 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 This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Front End Masters. There are so many courses on here, the highest possible quality courses, you know, almost focused on like you're maybe you're already a front end developer and you need to like learn a new technology or really level up. You definitely can be a beginner too. So, you know, think of that. But, you know, I think a lot of people that listen to this show are kind of in that intermediate zone. This is the place for leveling up and learning new technology. We got courses on here about Next.js with Scott Moss. We got, you know, Ben Hong on here, Brian Holt, Kent C. Dodds, you know, Sarah Drasner's on here. Nobody I'd trust more than Jen Kramer to teach intermediate HTML and CSS. Just amazing. The best of the best. And Dave. Hey, I got a web components <laughs> course up there. I don't know how I slipped in, but I did. And it, let me tell you, it's going to teach you web components. And uh, so, yeah, if you're interested in that, I think I feel like they're a hot topic this year. So people should go sign up and, and watch it. Yeah, Dave, you're, you're, you're early to the game as usual. You know what's you know what's going to be big. I, I used my code smeller and I smelled out the next big, big one, baby. Yeah, dude, web components are not going anywhere and you might as well learn them now. Check it out at Front End Masters. Um, lots of other stuff we could talk about. I know you have some other things on your mind, though. You... Well, no, I mean, I don't know. So it kind of goes into uh, that React stuff, right? I think, did did the documentary get into, like, uh, Twitter personas <laughs> amplifying that at all? Or, or no, Twitter was it, never mentioned once. It's really too early for that. It was. It, I think it ended too early. I, you know, I, remember, I could be wrong about that, but it, it, what it did, you know, it showed plenty of like screenshots of tweets, but it, they were mostly historical, and they're mostly to show off that like, look at the community hated this at first, and oh, look okay, now okay. the community doesn't hate it as much. You know, there was an old Ben Allman tweet. Remember, is Ben Allman still around? Oh, at Cowboy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
he was the one who's who they they showed his tweet a bunch of times that was like Facebook colon rethinking best practices TM and I and they showed it as like that his intention early was was a a jab at like best practices mm-hmm. are best practices so rethinking them is stupid but then they kind of embraced it they're like yeah we are thinking best practices a little bit like tailwind does now you know that like best practices don't work article or whatever which Ooh. is has the hilarious Ooh. title that's like well if they don't work then it's not a best practice kind of thing i feel like we need to go back to english school or something um okay there was that but there was you know there was some things that it was relatively new one thing is that that like JSXE or you know using angle brackets in JavaScript is now everybody does that mm-hmm. <laughs> now and it's not even always just JSX. Uh, interesting, but they were doing it before too. That they really dwelled on the fact that they already had this framework called Bolt or something internally that was not that different than oh yeah okay React even is now or whatever. I mean, I'm sure it is. To, to their mind. But it was, you know, it goes into some of the struggles of like, we can't have two frameworks. So got to pick one and the amazingness that they picked the, the the new experimental one rather than the one that was already in production all over the place. That's interesting. That's actually relevant, you know? I don't know. I, I wonder how many like good ideas are on that threshing floor, you know, of like yeah. the like, we went with the old one. Because of time, yeah, you know? reminds me of some things that, like, you know, like what would it, what would it have been like if we just used the dang functional components syntax the whole time? I mean, it's amazing that that didn't kill React, isn't it? Like, it's kind of a testament to have that big of a change in the architecture of how you're supposed to write React and have it still be as popular as it is is amazing to me. Yeah, we, that's true. in our code base, this just happened on on Monday. I think Alex noticed one little thing of like a an async hook that wasn't being called with a wait. And we're like, oh, that's weird. That's actually a little bug. We should fix that. And we were all under the assumption that we had the ESLint rules for hooks on, because we have mm-hmm. in the past. And some, mm-hmm. somehow they were just off. It was just not in the config pile properly. So we're like, we should turn those on again. Oh, gee, sweet Jesus, you know, like <laughs> a year of React work was... Was uh, there was quite a few little changes to make. I'm sure React people can relate. Like if you know, the most common one in our code base is if you use use effect, one of the classic hooks of React, you mm-hmm. have to put the dependencies. Any dependency that you use inside of the use effect needs to be in this array as an extra parameter at the end of it. And it's so freaking easy to forget or misput exactly what it needs in there. It's such a pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah, tuples get you every time, man. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, that's um, man. We we actually had that too. Like when you we tried to like even just moving because we use uh, Vitor V E T U E R yeah Vitor, which is the is like Nuxt two syntax for uh for view. Like it's the old syntax library does that mean like is it a new linter? one yeah linter and formatter and autocompleter yeah. kind of roll up oh, interesting the, the new one is voler v-o-l-a-r and we've tried i've tried to switch to that new one and it is very mad at me it is months <laughs> of work mad at me it's like 
your components are named wrong. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, Because Dew is now, I think for web component purposes, trying to enforce like a, a double capital name. So you can't have just button. It needs to be like capital my button. button. Yeah. Oh, even that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, and what? Um, what's the, it's just the worst work, isn't it? it? Makes you feel productive for a minute, but you're like, the best case scenario at the end of this is that I make this tool happy that's supposed to be helping me, but I'm helping it instead, um, and that I don't introduce any bugs as I refactor hundreds, if not thousands, of freaking lines of code. That's yeah. awful. That's awful. <laughs> I, I've been on a bit of a tear. Not in poor Kyle is is subject to this. You know, when we change something, right, oftentimes right now, that change, like changing one thing is a change actually in like five different files, you know, like, okay, I renamed a component or I added a prop or something. Okay, now I got to go through five different files and add this prop to fix that thing or something, you know, and it's giving me a code smell, right, of like, why why is it every time we make a change it we edit five files and our prs are always 20 40 files you know and i'm just like what i thought the whole point of components was i don't do this you know like and and i think it is but it's just it's there's there's something hmm. a smell coming and it's just like what what is what is it too much isolation or is it too little isolation does that make sense like is our do we have too many components? So when we change a component API or something, we have to roll it out 50 places or is it too little isolation? And now we have to roll it out in 50 places. We have to copy paste the code back into the 50 different places. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of stuck Hmm. and I don't have enough, like I don't have like a year of brain space to like sit around and really ponder it, you know? So I don't know if I don't know if CodePen has it all dialed in perfectly or what, but you, you guys pay down the technical debt, though. Yeah, but you can't only do that, you know. Oh, it's tricky. I mean, those are unanswerable questions, you know, because you th- even if you think you have it right, the next week you'll be like, "Update everybody! I didn't have it right." <laughs> oh, it, it's you the know? hundred hundred ducks again. Like, yeah, it's it's the. You know, do I want a bunch of tiny little components or do I want one big component, you know, or like, do I want one component that whatever renders 50 different modals or do I just want five different modal types, you know, like it's so, uh, anyway, that's, it's, it just gets you, man, just gets you. I feel like I'm, I'm close to understanding what's going on, but, but yeah, it'll take a lot of. 40 file PRs to get there, you know? So, right. Yeah. Mm, you just got to do it sometimes. 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 Yeah. And those are the, those are the few PRs that kind of should be that way. Probably, you know, every other PR is like, I reviewed one today. There was one file and I was like, this is the best PR I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> my, the current PR I'm reviewing, I'm just saying, I love that red. Love that red. Yeah, the red's going yeah. away. But the, some of the red is going to a different file. So the next time we work on it, we'll have to go edit that other file just to fix the thing in the file. But yeah, but I could see a, like a future that I can't quite envision. But um, but I can tell what it would feel like. Is if those you know sometimes you pick up a little function. You know, and I, I was just looking at some of these because some of them are like, oh, the answer was just move the function inside the use effect or whatever crap. 
it looks like a lot of red and a lot of green, but it's the same function. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to see a diff tool that like somehow, instead of just red and green, maybe there's some other way to express that. Like this function was unchanged. It just moved. But you should really pay attention to this line that's actually new, which happens a lot like when you um, alphabetize a set of keys or something. You'll see, a, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I had one where I added one and I alphabetized them at the same time. So I was like, which one did I add, dear reader? Time to Guess. use a lot of yeah. cognitive function to figure it out. Yeah. Oh, that would be really, yeah. I mean, that's like, like, that would be cool if a tool could just be like, oh, we use blue for renaming, you know, like, that would be awesome. <laughs> what gives me hope is that I, 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 I sometimes see the same diff in different contexts. I wish I could remember a good example of this, but I've seen, I've seen it look different, the same diff. So mm. it's like there are, the, I guess, obviously, there are tools and libraries and stuff that do this diffing work and and have their own opinions on how it should be output that presumably can iterate and get better over time. It's it's amazing what the hide white space button will do too. Uh, you know, like yeah. you, you click hide white space and all of a sudden you're looking at three files, you know, <laughs> like, and, yeah, because that's like with uh great idea. Wonderful. Nuxt is pretty particular about your indentation or view is, you know, the formatter. Uh, and so, like, if we wrap an element or something like that, boom, suddenly 90 lines changed. But it's actually two lines have changed, but 70 got indented, you know? So, right. Right. And, and no, it's, that uh, feels unquestionable to me. Nobody should be looking at red across all 70 of those. Right. Unchanged lines. That's stupid. But it would be, I I love that idea of like, this just got moved, you know, they do it with file renaming and which is cool, but like, yeah, just like this was moved to a different file. Yeah. Um, It'd be cool to know that. Cause then it would be neat to like how much of like how many PRs is just moving furniture around, you know, like uh, that would be a, Oh, because even if you hopped in to review a PR, you could be like, oh, this one deletes a lot. Oh, this one adds a lot. Or this one just moves stuff around a lot. That would be good to know. Yeah. Mm. I was thinking about test generation a little bit, too. Just this is a little bit related. Not entirely, but it's like about tooling getting better. That, you know, we were, I was working on tests that somebody else wrote here at, at Copen. It was, it, it, it was a pretty clear processing event, right? Like send in some data and then check Everything that you get out of it, like a whole little mini file system of output, should equal this. And so we keep the the expectation kind of on disk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. And you can okay. even do it as like source and dist. Like why not? Because that's how developers do it. So the source is what the input of the test. Then it does the processing work and it should compare it to a dist folder that's sitting on disk. So that's kind of nice. Sort of like a snapshot of multiple a files kind of thing. Snapshot. That's exactly where I'm going with this. Okay. So but one cool thing the test runner does is that it it doesn't make the dist folder. That's, that's, in this one case, it's not something that you should blow away. Like, you're used to be able to blow away your disk folder. Who cares? It'll just get rebuilt, right? Not in the test case. The test case is actually comparing against that. So the test runner actually makes a disk underscore temp or something folder like that instead. 
So at any time, you can look at three things. If a test fails, you can look at the source code that went in. You can look at the test itself, of course. You can look at what it was compared against, because that's that disk folder. And then you can look at what it actually made, the disk.temp folder. So you can kind of diff between the the dist and the dist temp and be like, oh, okay, what's what's not right here? Is it just some white space or what? And what's kind of cool about it is that it is a snapshot. So if you want that test to pass, one way to do it is blow out the dist folder, rename dist temp dist, and now the test will pass because the output is the same because it is a snapshot. Um, so that it's a little manual for us, but I think that's how a lot of these snapshot-based test runners work is that you can just write a test, run it once, save the output for it, and say, that's the correct output. I want you to do that. And what's cool about that is it's not, it's not, it doesn't come from your brain then. It's, you don't have to write an assertion that says, did users.firstname equal Dave? Because that's what a lot of people write. And then you're like, yep, it is. So it's good. It's like, hell no. I want you to test all hundred lines of that object. And if any of the hundred of them changed, I want you to flag something wrong. It's a way more robust test. And then if it fails, you can look at it real quick and be like, oh, I see. It just, you know, I don't know. Our, the URL has a different subdomain now or something. That's not actually a problem. We just changed that. You just say, oh, update snapshot, the test passing in and off you go. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was reading this this post the other day. What if what if tests was a joy what if writing tests was a joyful experience on the Jane Street blog? And it was all it was about this too, is that 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 the kind of snapshot driven testing is just a really nice way to do it. And it you know goes into even down to how you write the test. I have some troubles with snapshots. Can I explain yeah, my Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh I feel like it's kind they're they're kind of like the the photo on your driver's license. It's kind of like, "Hey, is this the guy?" and it's like doesn't look at him at all, but yeah, that's the guy. You know, like like it's like a photo you took like 16 years ago and it's it's just somehow you're trying to match your stuff to this photo, you know, the the current you. I, so I, I feel like sometimes when you're like working on components or stuff, something like that, like matching it to a snapshot is like, is I guess fine, but it, but it just seems like very like, uh, I don't know, like like very brittle or, or it's like you're just going to hit update snapshot so much that you're like desensitized to it, you know? But mm. Right. Well, if that's the case, that is a problem. <laughs> but I like it for your thing where you're like, okay, I'm putting this SAS in. I expect this SAS exactly out, right? That's like probably a test you have in CodePen. Like that yeah, is, yeah. I mean, so like, I think like that's perfect, you know? And and then like, here's that test, but minified. Here's that test, but, you know, whatever, expanded. So I think that's rad. I, I think like, you know, and then y'all do that whole, like, when you download it, it, like, stitches up. And it's like, you'd want definitely to install that, right? Well, they need to be deterministic. And then there's interesting things like, oh, I don't know, post-CSS, this post-CSS plugin changed from this version to this version or or something. Or, or somebody's using preset env and that, like, browser versions have marched on a little bit. So the output of them has changed a little bit. So all of a sudden... What used to have a Moz and a WebKit prefix in CSS now just has WebKit only or something like that. That test is still fine. Like I don't, I don't give a shit that that yeah that output changed. It's like not a big deal to me. So I can just be like, okay, that's a you know update snapshot situation. 
but you could also look at it. But you really need to know, like, changed output and people's stuff is a big deal. I mean, there's more to this story because, honestly, we shouldn't be changing what version of a th- anything that anybody uses is. We should be worried that if if there's any output change to a to a pen, but th- this is historical code pen when we used to just change under your feet. But. <laughs> <laughs> Old code pen. It was just yeah, a miracle we just that we, yeah, we we just changed it. Indeed, won't be the case going forward. But anyway, interesting stuff. And then you know, testing stayed in the news a little bit more. Tab nine, um, long long ago, they might have sponsored a couple episodes of the show, but it's been a while. They were kind of a pre-GitHub Copilot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember talking to them at the at the early burgeoning of GitHub Copilot. And they're like, oh, this is not a problem. They're so different. You know, they, <laughs> it was like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're, uh. they're literally the same thing. But, I mean, they're still around and, and uh, tr- probably trying to pivot to find other ways to, to help do stuff for you, which I don't blame them because it was kind of a good product at the at the time. It's just GitHub Copilot is great. <laughs> so, yeah. So well, there's that. Now, now pricing is is a part of it too because isn't a good Copilot's a hundred bucks, isn't it? Hundred bucks. So you could undercut them, and, you know, be the discount Copilot. That'd be a good right. Move. And Tab Nice did always say that they were trained on your your stuff more so than the entire world. And so is that good or bad? I don't know. That might be a, I don't know, that might be a good security thing or, you know, even just that code now should match your own coding style guide or something. But Yeah, exactly. I always thought that was clever. Like maybe the combination of both would be good, kind of weighing my stuff more. But this blog post is about AI-powered unit test generation. So Mm -hmm. it looks at some class and then it's like, I'll just make a bunch of unit tests for this thing. I'm like, that's great. You should totally do that. <laughs> yeah. I use Copilot for my a lot of unit tests and it's pretty good. I mean, it's never, you know, sometimes it's way off, you know, like it suggests like keys or properties I don't have in my component, you know? Uh, but like, you know, usually I can like write a comment or start typing like, you know, expect whatever error to show error or something like that. And it'll figure out how to do that. And so like, that's actually been a, a boon to my test writing. Cause I just, I don't like it and never have. And, but, but now I kind of am okay. If I'm in the mindset, I can just me and copilot just going to power through it and bloop, 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 spit out some tests. And, you know, I, I think, what is it? AI is good at bullshit. Is that, that's the <laughs> thing people say now. And I mean, that's sort of what testing is sometimes is just like, I'm just going to write some bullshit code and, you know, my guess is that I've seen so many of them that are so similar that it's just better at guessing those things than it is for your like deep in application code that's probably a little bespoke. Right. Well, and and then I have to like, I think the trouble I come up with is drumming up what I'm supposed to test or what what would be like worth my while to test. You know, but right, right, right. That should be kind of a, a like a I don't know work smell or something. Like if I'm if I know I or I think I need to do some work and I can't even think of why I'm supposed to do it, <laughs> there might be a moment there where maybe you don't need to be doing it, or we should have done it. We should bake it or move it left or move right in the process or whatever. Move yeah. it left and then 
make sure all the tests happen before. Because a lot of the time you're like, oh, man, yeah, we did add that weird feature. Let's uh, write a test for it because it's broken now, you know? So hate to say it, but that happens. So, Indeed. Well, Chris, should we wrap this up? I feel like uh, we've, we've talked a lot about a lot. We've got some blog posts, I think, to write from this episode here. So, we- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at least one I got cooked in. That's how content production works, though. You know, I got to repurpose those ideas across the spectrum. I would be a billionaire if I wrote down all the mouth blogs I did on this website, or on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'd be so blog rich. It'd be amazing. Yeah, the written word is usually worth a little more. A little, go, few, a little more legs than uh, a one, like minute 47 of a one hour podcast. <laughs> Uh, all right well we'll wrap it up uh thank you dear listener for downloading this in your podcast your church be sure to start heart favorite up that's how people find out about the show follow us on mastodon at shop talk show at front hyphen end dot social uh and join us over in the discord patreon.com slash shop talk show it's fun chris you got anything else you like to say shop talk show.com 